Thank you for joining today's podcast. If God is impacting your life through this ministry, you can partner with us and give at kcalaska.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our channel and enjoy more messages like this one. Well, it's good to see everybody tonight. Those of you that are joining us online, we're glad to have you as well. And if uh, for those of you that are guests here tonight, we're so glad that you're here. My name is Minister Barry, and along with my wife, Minister Jan, we serve here at, at KC Wasilla, and uh, we, we head up or administrate or teach or run or carry the burden for our King School of Ministry, uh, which is just an amazing tool that the Lord uses, and um, so we're so privileged to be able to do that, and I'm so glad to be here with you tonight. I knew going in tonight that I would have a little competition for an audience with God's people. There's this uh, relatively unknown guy preaching in Anchorage tonight at 7 o'clock. Obviously, I'm kidding. Dr. Rodney Howard Brown is world-renowned, and what a great privilege for our state to receive his ministry uh, tonight in Anchorage. But uh, I also knew tonight by the choice of the topic and the title, and you can go ahead and put that slide up if you want, women in ministry, that there would be some who would be very excited to hear what the Holy Spirit wants to reveal to us tonight. And there might possibly be others who might not be so excited. <laughs> but I want to dedicate this message tonight to not only all the, the ladies in the house, but I want to dedicate this message to my beautiful wife, uh, Jan. 34 years she's stood by my side, been my partner in ministry. Um, she has uh, prayed for me. She has inspired me. She has... Uh, Hit me upside the head. I started to say, hit me somewhere else, but uh, hit me upside the head uh, when I needed it, and uh, she's my partner for life, and I, I, I couldn't have accomplished near the things that I've been able to accomplish by myself. You know, the word says, gentlemen, that if one can put 1,000 to flight, two can put 10,000 to flight. So, guys, if you're blessed enough to have a wife, which the word says, he that finds a wife finds a good thing, then understand she's your 9,000. And don't ever forget that. Now, how this uh, message came about tonight, how it came about that, uh, oh, one thing I want to do real quick, ushers, you're going to help me out. Every gentleman in the house that has never been to our men's encounter, lift your hand right now, please. All right, keep that hand up. All right, ushers are going to put something in your hand. So every, every hand that's up, ushers put something in it. It's a, it's a little brochure about our men's encounter. You need to be here this Friday night and Saturday uh, I know we can't say it enough, but you will encounter God. You will encounter Jesus. You will encounter the Holy Spirit. And if you look in Scripture, every person that ever came encounter, had an encounter with Jesus, they walked away different. Either different for eternity good, or they walked away different because they made a decision after that encounter to choose to not follow what he had to say and to surrender their life to him. But nobody stayed the same when they encountered Jesus. So gentlemen, I expect all of you to be here this Friday. I'm going to be sharing in some of the, uh, some of the sessions. And uh, I, know what, I know what the Lord has given me, so uh, you want to be here because it will change your life. But how this message tonight came about, uh, I was sharing actually in Maui. Um, Jan and I were at, sitting at Dr. Morocco's house uh, with uh, Minister Aaron and Kinu and Pastor Daniel and Pastor Tim 
uh, we were just talking, and, and, and Kenu actually brought it up, I believe, talking about women in ministry and what Scripture says. And, and Jan and I are in, uh, we're pursuing our master's degree, struggling through Hebrews, not the book Hebrews, the language Hebrews uh, currently. But early on in our pursuing our master's degree, we had to, uh, had to write a paper, a 22-page paper on the particular text that I'm going to give you tonight that deals with women in ministry. And so I was sharing a little bit, and we were having some conversation back and forth. And after we got finished, Pastor Daniel said, man, the church needs to hear that. Uh, so when, uh, when he was gonna, knew he was not going to be able to be here tonight because he's in Antioch, he said, would you, would you share that tonight? And I said, absolutely. I had people asking me this morning because Pastor announced what I would be sharing on women in ministry. I had people asking me, is that really what you're preaching? And I'm like, yeah, it is. Uh, so, so I want to... I wanna, Either way, no matter whether you're excited about this message tonight or, or maybe not as excited, you and I are here, and more importantly, the Spirit of the living God is here. So we want to receive what He has for us, right? So why don't we do that? So let's pray real quick. Holy Spirit, again, we welcome you in this place, and in the time that we have tonight that we've set aside to meet and gather together, I, I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would just partake, that we would partake of you, and you would impart to us great truths from your word. We thank you that you are the one, that's your job. Jesus said when he went away that you would come, Holy Spirit, and you would lead and guide us into all truth. And Lord, that's what we want. So we give you praise tonight in your name. Amen. Take your Bibles and turn to the book of 1 Timothy chapter 1, excuse me, 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. My text tonight comes from the entire chapter, and we're going to read it together. I'm reading from the New King James Version. It's just 15 verses. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2. Are you ready? Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Verse 4, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. I want to stop there real quick. In those first five verses, everywhere you see the word men, the Greek language is humanity, mankind, men and women, the original language. So even though it was translated men, Paul's talking to men and women uh, in these first five verses. Let's continue on. Verse 6 who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Verse 8, I desire, therefore, that the men, now he's speaking in the masculine, speaking directly to the men. I desire, therefore, that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Verse 9, in like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission. It got really quiet in here right about now. Hang with me, all right? And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. Father, thank you for your word. All right. 
All right. Now, that's my text. Specifically tonight, I want to break down or unpack this section, verses 8 uh, through 12, because I believe there are some great liberating truths found in these verses. So come on, let's jump in with both feet and see what we can discover. Amen? Point number one, if you're taking notes, point number one, we're all called to be ministers. We're all called to be ministers. Now, we are talking specifically about women in ministry tonight, but I have to start with this thought. We are called to be ministers. As such, it is important to have a true biblical understanding of what it means for women to be ministers. But equally important is it for the men to understand their roles as ministers. And guys, can I tell you tonight, it isn't for us to get all the attention. It isn't for us to get all the glory, all the recognition, all of the praise, and the ladies to get the leftovers. Oh, ladies, come on. That was... you. you Listen, ladies, this is your night, so, so I want to hear from you, okay? Because the guys aren't going to say a whole lot right now, right about now. Gentlemen, can I tell you tonight, we would do well to understand that as ministers, in whatever capacity that might be, our first responsibility, our first role as a minister is to serve. And more specifically, to serve our wives, to serve our mothers, to serve our sisters, and to serve our daughters. Serve them so they are able to become everything God created and destined them to become. Amen? Can I tell you tonight, when I stand before the judgment seat of Christ and I give an account for my life, which all of us will do, it'll only be me and God, and he'll review my life. And when I stand before him, I won't, he won't judge. The first thing he won't want to give, have me give an account for won't be how good of a preacher I might be, won't be what I taught at KSM. It won't be how many people I might have had in my church. The first thing he's going to want me to give an account for is how well I served my wife, my daughters, my sister, my mother, my my family. That's the first area of ministry, gentlemen, that we need to understand. As all of us are called into ministry, we, as, we gentlemen are called to serve and specifically to serve the women that God has blessed us to have in our life because God wants us to stir up that gift in them just like he stirs up the gift in us. God wants us to put them in position and give them everything they need by serving them to make them be able to fulfill the destiny that God has created them. Amen? Amen? Ephesians 5, 28, 5 through 28 says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave her, himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. He's describing the church, but he's describing how husbands are supposed to love their wives so that their wives can become the same thing. Holy, blameless, without spot. Oh, come on. Listen, I'm going to preach it tonight whether you amen me or not. <laughs> so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For too long, the church has devalued the role and the ministry of women. Are you ready to step up to the place that Jesus has prepared you for, ladies? Yes. I believe you are. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, that because of what Christ has done, there are no longer any differences among us. There is neither Jew or Greek. There's no ethnic 
or national difference. Neither slave or free. There's no economic difference. Neither male or female. There's no gender difference. And do not get me started on all this nonsense that's going on uh, concerning gender in our society today. There are two. There have always been two. There will forever be two. I don't care what people want to say. The Word of God declares there are two. And the Word of God declares that the two He created, He created in His image. I'm going to preach just for a minute. He created male and female. He created them in his image. That means he didn't create man to rule over the woman. The Bible even says that she, she was formed from the rib of the man so that she could serve alongside him, complementary with him. Now, I could get real technical and go in and talk about some stuff from my paper because in researching for my paper that I had to write, there's this term, and if I'll say it right because I didn't, don't have it in front of me, equalitarianism and then there's another term called complementarianism and it's two views of the passages in scripture in Genesis where it says that when it says God created man, male and female in his image the equalitarianism camp says that means they're equal in every way the complementarian camp says that they are created in God's image but they complement each other can I tell you I think it's both I think we're both created equal in God's sight, male and female. That's the only two genders. I said I wouldn't stay on that. That's the only two there are. We're both created equal, and we complement one another. So, gentlemen, that's our first ministry, is to serve our wives, to serve the ladies in our home and our family. Now, this verse that I just read in, in Galatians 3, it refers to the equality we have in God. But if we are equal, how is it that the church has so often been guilty, hold on, of sanctifying a chauvinistic system in which women are put, and not always gently, in second place? Do I need to repeat that? If we are all equal... How is it that the church has so often been guilty of sanctifying a chauvinistic system in which women are put and not always gently in second place? I believe it's time for us to revisit the issue of what a woman's place is according to God's order of things. My purpose tonight is not to incite the women of the church to rise up and assert their individuality, authority, and rights. It is to examine what the Bible says a woman can be so that women are free to move into the things that God has for them. So that brings us to point number two. Some examples of some amazing women found in God's Word. Amazing women in the Bible. Now, see, we gotta, we got to cast off some old ideas tonight. I want to again declare that my view of women is not a radical feminist nor anti-traditional church view. It is a solid biblical view. This view holds that God has a high destiny for every one of the redeemed, whether male or female, and that this destiny is the blossoming of who people are in the, the created being of Jesus Christ. But discovering who we are in Christ can be made difficult by the old ideas that we carry around that we cling to, that originate in, from the culture around us by imposed systems of thought such as human, uh, human or religious philosophy or by our own ignorance or misunderstanding of the Word of God. We must allow the Lord to deliver us from all preconceived notions in order to discover His true call on our lives. And one way to do that is to examine closely the Scriptures. Now all that's a bunch of flowery words from my paper. Can I tell you what it means? God is doing a new thing. 
and he wants people to move out of some old mindsets. He wants some people to move out of some old ways that have held not only women down and kept them from being who God created them to be and destined them to be, but in many cases have held certain classes of people down. Listen, when we get to heaven, every tribe, every tongue, Every nation will be represented. It's going to be all of us. And we're all going to rejoice and dance around the throne and say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the one who was and is and is to come. All right. Let me get, let me get back to my notes. Let's look for a few minutes. There's a person in the Bible in the Old Testament. Her name's not given, but she's described as Manoah's wife. Now, Manoah was the father of Samson. And in Judges chapter 13, verses 22 through 23, and I'm going to give you lots of scripture. I told the the media people, don't worry about putting it up there. I'll just give it to them. Y'all can write it down. Uh, Manoah said to his wife, we shall surely die because we have seen God. But listen to what his wife stepped up and said. But his wife said to him, if the Lord had desired to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering from our hands, nor would he have shown us all these things, nor would he have told us such things as these at this time. Guys, sometimes we miss the obvious. I'm not down on guys. I am one, okay? But I can tell you, my wife has saved me from making some big blunders. My wife... I guess I'm the only one. My wife has helped me out of sticky situations. She has helped me not make a fool of myself. And here Samson's, Samson's father, Manoah, is like, we've seen God. He's surely going to kill us. And she's like, hang on, wait a second, because she knew the heart of God. Why would he, be, he accepted our sacrifice? Why would he have told us these things? Why would he have revealed these things to us if he was going to strike us dead? She was an amazing woman of faith. And she spoke her mind in a, in a very respectful way, but she didn't stay silent, letting her husband think they were going to die and have a panic attack, maybe have a heart attack, maybe stress out and, and lose his mind. She calmed him down very peaceably and said, no, 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 here's the heart of God. Let's move on. Ruth, she was the great-grandmother of King David. But can I tell you, she was active in getting into that lineage. If you look at Ruth chapter 3, verse 9, she declared to Boaz, you are a redeemer, so cover your servant. What was she saying? Listen, I need somebody to take care of me. You're a kinsman redeemer, meaning he was way down in, her, in the relatives of her family, and you, I need somebody to care for me, so why not you? In fact, come on, would you step up? Would you step up and take care of me? And as a result, she became the great-grandmother of King David. Hannah, mother of Samuel. Now, Eli thought because of her constant prayers, because she was desiring, she wanted to have a child, she wanted to have a son and couldn't. And Eli, the priest, the high priest in the temple, thought because of her constant prayers that she was drunk. But she stood up for herself and her faith in God to get her promise, found in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. When Eli said, woman, why are you here constantly babbling? You're drunk. You should go home. She said, oh, I'm not drunk. I'm praying and I'm making petition before God. And she said it in such a way that Eli said, you know what? God's going to answer your prayer. Go home. He's going he's to give you that blessing. And she gave birth to Samuel, one of the greatest prophets that ever walked the face of the earth. There's a lady in the, in the Old Testament by the name of Abigail. She dared to speak up to King David. 
and give him great advice. And David was grateful. 1 Samuel chapter 25, verse 32. See, David was going to go kill somebody. He was going to shed blood to try to save himself and take care of himself rather than let God be the revenger, let God take care of him. And Abigail had talked to him about not doing that. And this is what David said. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel who sent you, Abigail, this day to meet me. And blessed is your advice. And blessed are you because you have kept me this day from coming to bloodshed and from avenging myself with my own hand. We could go on and on in the Old Testament. There's a Shunammite woman and a prophet Elisha. Her husband was like, yeah, let's get him a meal. She said, no, let's not get him a meal. Let's build him a room. Let's build him a room off the house where when he comes, he can stay here because I want the blessings of God, and I want to honor the man of God. There's Esther, Queen Esther, if you know the story. She saved her entire race of people by standing up in the face of opposition when a woman would never have been allowed to do what she would have done. She stood up anyway because she believed what Mordecai and what, the, what her uncle and what the Bible says, that for such a time as this, you've been brought into the kingdom. Ladies, for such a time as this, God is calling you to rise up and to fulfill your destiny and your calling. There are things that God created you to do. Amen. Now, what about the New Testament? Well, obviously, we got to start with Mary, the mother of Jesus. See, there were two people involved in this story, Mary and Joseph. Joseph was like, okay, mm, I don't think this is going to work. Um, let me figure out how I can do this to, to stop uh, the, the, the gossip and the rumor mill, to have the least amount of embarrassment when he found out that she was pregnant. What was Mary's response uh, to, to what God wanted to do? Be it unto me. Be it unto me. As you say, angel, what God's going to do, be it unto me. What a different attitude. See, guys, sometimes we're, we think practical we, 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 think, we don't think with our emotions, and yet women a lot of times do think with your emotions. And you know what? That's from God because you were created in God's image. Emotions aren't wrong. They aren't, they're not our counselor. They don't rule us. But a lot of times women think from their heart, men think from their head, and it's a much better result to think from your heart. Then we know the, the sisters in Bethany, Mary and Martha in Bethany, served Jesus, followed Jesus' ministry, took care of him and the disciples, blessed him. Mary worshiped at his feet. In fact, in Scripture, uh, theologians say that when it says Mary was seated at the feet of Jesus, it's, it's the, Jesus was considered a rabbi and a teacher, called by the other religious leaders and other rabbis and teachers rabbi, and the rabbis would sit and teach, and those that they were teaching would sit at their feet. So there are theologians that say the description there is not, don't lose the interpretation and the translation of when it says Mary sat at his feet. She sat at his feet to learn. She sat at his feet to be taught. She sat at his feet to understand what it was like to be in his presence and was so overwhelmed with being with him that when he came, she, that's what she did, and Martha was complaining. And Jesus said, no, Martha, what you're doing is good. Mary's chosen the better part. And, of course, there's Mary Magdalene. She was the first one to see the risen Christ. But what about Junia? Who? I'm glad you asked. Romans chapter 16 verse 7 says this. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my countrymen and my fellow prisoners who are of, not, who are of note among the apostles who are also were in Christ before me. This is Paul writing. Who's he talking about? A husband and wife, apostolic leader team in the church who knew Jesus before he did. And he's saying, greet them. Take, they are people of note. And he wasn't just talking about the husband. He was talking about both of them. 
Now, some theologians have tried to say that he's actually talking about uh, uh, two men, that Junia is actually the wrong translation, that it should be Junia instead of Junie, or however you say it in the Greek. I do pour at that too. But the actual little Greek translation is a feminine name of a woman that Paul is talking about. There's also Priscilla, wife of Aquila, Romans chapter 16, verses 3 through 5. Greet Priscilla and Aquila. Do you know that it was not common? It was not ordinary to list the lady first. If, a, if someone was going to write a letter to recommend somebody, recommend a husband and wife, they would, they would normally say greet Aquila and Priscilla. But Paul did it the other way around. Greet Priscilla and Aquila. My fellow workers in Christ Jesus who risk their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. They were pastors. And Paul gives honor to her first. Also in Acts chapter 18, verse 25 and 26, he's talking about Apollos. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. And when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Apollos was known as a fiery, evangelistic-type preacher in the early church, in the New Testament church. Paul talked about him in another place where he said, Some say, I am of Apollos. Some say, I am of Paul. Some say, I am of Cephas. Meaning these people were saying, he's my favorite preacher. No, I really like the way Paul breaks it down. Yeah, but I like Cephas or Peter. Well, how did he get the knowledge that he got? He was taught by a woman and a man, a wife and a husband pastor, who taught him, and, yet, and he goes on to become uh, known in the New Testament church and in the history of the New Testament church as a great evangelist and fiery preacher because of the work that God was doing through this amazing woman of the New Testament known as Priscilla. There's Lois, Timothy's grandmother, Eunice, Timothy's mom, Lydia, a businesswoman in Philippi. She gets saved under Paul's ministry and uses her means to support and befriend Paul. You can find that in Acts chapter 16, verses 13 through 15, and also verse 40. Then there's Phoebe, found in Romans chapter 16, verse 1 and 2. Paul says this, I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant, and that word in the Greek is the same word as deacon, leader who is a servant of the church in Chetria, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever business she has need of. You, for, for indeed she has been a helper of many and of myself also. Historians state that Phoebe was probably the one who actually brought the letter that Paul wrote to Romans that we have in the scriptures. She was probably the one that brought the letter to the church at Rome before Paul was able to get there. She went ahead of him. So she was acting as his ambassador. Can I tell you, church, it's time for women to realize you play a part. As we head towards the soon return of our Lord Jesus Christ, there is a work for you to do. There's a work for me to do. There's a work for all of us to do. And we can't sit back because of gender or because of bias or because of old ways of thinking or tradition or anything else and say, well, you could do that if you weren't who you are. Last one before I move on to our text in Timothy. Acts chapter 21 verse 8 and 9 says, On the next day we were with Paul's companions 
we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven. Now, this is Philip, who was chosen as one of the original seven deacons of the church and became an evangelist, you know, the one that was preaching. And God trans, he was preaching and stopped and talked to the Ethiopian eunuch and told him about the gospel and baptized him. And when the eunuch came up out of the water, God transported and translated Philip from where he was. He disappeared. You know, beam me up, Scotty. The whole Star Trek thing happened in the Bible. Okay, this is Philip. And they're staying at his house. And look what he says in verse 9. Now, this man had four daughters who prophesied. They were prophets in the early church. So let's go to point number three. The text in Timothy. Look with me at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 15. I desire, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. In like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman, being deceived, fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. This section has to be viewed in the context of the entire chapter. That's why I read the entire chapter. Paul starts talking off at the very beginning of chapter 2 about prayer and conduct in public worship. And he talks to both the men and the women. But can I tell you, for far too long, this passage of Scripture that I just read to you completely ignores what Paul's telling the men and focuses only on what Paul seems to be telling the women. And it's been used to keep women supposedly in their place. Listen, I don't want, I, the only place I want women to be is the place God has for them. The only place I want any, any minister of the gospel to be is the exact right place that God has them. At the right place, at the right time, for such a time as this, to accomplish all that God wants to accomplish. And we as the church better start empowering every individual to do that. Amen? Now you read this and then you understand everything I just laid out. And believe me, there's a whole lot more. Again, it was 22 pages. Okay? There's a whole lot more that I could give you. Sake of time, I won't. But I've laid all this out. And then you read this and you think, what, did Paul lose his mind? Did he fall and hit his head and suddenly forget everything that, that Scripture shows about the role of women? Well, first I want to see what the different verses in this passage do not mean. And then I'll try to teach you what I feel like the Lord, Holy Spirit gave me on what it does mean. That women adorn themselves in modest apparel, verse 9. What it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean all women should dress as crummy as possible to verify their holiness. That is not what Scripture is saying. In fact, I didn't say this. I'm just borrowing the quote. I didn't say this. Let me say it one more time. I didn't say this. I heard a Christian comedian say one time, when it comes to makeup, if you need it, dab it on. Let a woman learn in silence, verse 11. What this doesn't mean is women should keep their mouths closed in church and have no input on spiritual matters. With all submission, verse 11. What this doesn't mean is women should do as they're told. I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over man, verse 12. What this doesn't mean is women are allowed to teach only other women. Adam was formed first, then Eve, verse 13. What this doesn't mean is God likes men more than he does women. 
Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Verse 14, what this doesn't mean is men are smarter than women. I'm going to digress just for a second. We're going to go to the Garden of Eden. Now, God did everything in perfection. He set everything in motion the way he wanted it to be done. He created it all and declared it good. And he said, Adam and Eve, enjoy the garden. Enjoy each other. Subdue, take, take, take authority over the earth. Subdue it. Populate it. Bless it. And rule over it. That's God's plan still. That's why we're supposed to take authority that Jesus bought back for us by dying on the cross and going and descending into the depths and taking back the keys of death, hell, and the grave so that he could present him to his bride, which is you and I. And when he said, now I give, all authority has been given to me, now I give all authority to you, God still intends for us to take the authority that he intended at the very beginning to subdue this earth, to take authority over it and advance the kingdom of God. So God set all that in motion, and he placed them in the garden, and they, he told them, you guys can eat. He told both of them, you can eat of any fruit of the, any tree in the garden except that one. Don't eat of the fruit of that one. Now, for most of us, we look at Genesis, and we see day one, day two, day three, day four, five, six. God rested on day seven. Then everything's going, clicking in the garden, and we think probably somewhere around day eight, day nine, maybe day ten, Lucifer shows up. We don't know how long. We don't know how long they walked in the garden. We don't know how long they fellowshiped with God on a daily basis where he would come down and they would, he would walk with them in the cool of the day in the garden. I, I'm crazy enough to think that when God came down, because God told Adam he could name all of the animals. That means that the elephant's called an elephant because Adam said it's an elephant, not a penguin. So I believe when they were going through the garden and God was there, that just like because God was their father and they were his children, just like children will do for you and I as parents when they discover something. I believe God came down there walking and God's like, or Adam's like, oh, Adam. He's like, yeah, come on, God, we want to show you something. And he, they said, look, we call this butterfly. And God said, yeah, I made that for you. I made that for your enjoyment. So that's all taking place in the garden. And then all of a sudden, however long time period between God finished creating everything and set it all in motion and would visit with them, at some point in time, Lucifer in the form of the serpent uh, showed up. And when he showed up, he started talking to Eve. But you know what Scripture says? And her husband, Adam, who was with her. Now, I understand what Paul, I understand that Paul says that Eve was deceived. Adam wasn't. Eve was deceived. She was deceived because she started talking to the serpent. But Adam was right there. He, was, he gave up his authority at that moment. Because what Adam should have done is looked at the serpent and said, I don't know who you are. I haven't named you. I don't know where you came from. But you don't belong here. So I'm going to kick you out of this garden. You're not talking to my wife. You're not messing with my family. You're not messing with the perfection that God has given me. But he didn't. He didn't. So just chew on that for, I don't know, however long you need to. Thanks, love. She will be saved in childbearing, verse 15. This does not mean the only thing a woman is good for is having babies. But can I tell you there are people that are guilty of interpreting this passage of Scripture to mean every one of those things that I just told you it doesn't mean? And they have used it. To hold women back. Listen, husbands, if you haven't realized this yet, realize this. Here's some free advice. If you don't want to receive it, that's okay. 
My wife knows the answer to questions I haven't even thought of yet. That's why, that's, and, and I believe your wife does too. That's why when it's like, can I ask you a question? Every man goes, dear Jesus, oh God, what did I forget? What, I, I don't, I, what, I, uh, sure, you know, because you don't know what's coming next. Because they already know the answers to questions we've never thought of before. That's just free. So what is Paul saying here in this passage of Scripture? Why was it necessary for this section to be included in Scripture? Well, you have to understand the culture. Listen, the Bible was written, I mean, there's 66 books. There's thousands of years in between time frames and events that are described and prophesied that came to pass exactly as they were prophesied. And the culture in which it was written in, obviously they're writing about what they know. John, John the Revelator on the Isle of Patmos wrote about what he didn't know and did the best job he could to describe it. And we have the book of Revelation that's full of things like the beast with four heads and the dragon rising out of the sea and, and, and scorpions with, uh, that had the face of horses and the, look like, and, and the power of death in their tails. John didn't know any of that stuff. He was doing the best he could to describe. Paul is addressing a culture here, but not to criticize and not to keep women down. Stay with me. What was it like for women in Paul's day? When Paul wrote the letter to Timothy, women were seen as second-class citizens. Women's behavior was extremely limited in ancient times, much like even today in Afghanistan uh, and, and the regions of, of that part of the world. Un this is just some, some things, just as free. Unmarried women were not in Paul's day were not allowed to leave the home of their father. Married women were not allowed to leave the home of their husband. They were not normally... They were normally restricted to roles of little or no authority. They could not testify in court. They could not appear in public venues. They were not allowed to talk to strangers. They had to be doubly veiled when they left their homes. And yet, when we're talking about the New Testament church to which Paul got saved and became a leading evangelist, a missionary, Jesus had set women free, even from their culture, even from the culture of their day. Jesus set them free. He treated them with respect, and he called them his followers. As we already said, the first person to see the resurrected Christ was a woman. As I already read in Galatians 3.8, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave, free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This is the same Paul saying that under the anointing of the Holy Spirit that said these seemingly controversial verses. I can't, I'm, I'm, I'm keeping you, I got you hooked because I know you're waiting to hear what I have to say about this, so hold on. Also in Acts chapter 2, verse 17 and 18, in the last days, God said, I will pour out my spirit on all. Can I tell you when scripture says all A-L-L, it means all A-L-L. It doesn't mean some. It doesn't mean partial. It means all. I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Joel said that in the Old Testament. Peter quoted it in the book of Acts. So here's the culture and the setting for the book of 1 Timothy. Timothy was a young man in his early 20s, and he was installed by Paul to be the young pastor of the church at Ephesus. Now, this is the same church that's listed as one of the seven churches in the book of Revelation. Paul started this church himself on one of his missionary journeys. Paul wrote the letters to Timothy to help to instruct this young preacher on how to serve the people there at Ephesus. Notice what I said, how to serve the people there at Ephesus. Pastors are servants, not tyrants. 
Pastors want the best for their people. They want them to grow and become everything they are destined to be. Paul had started the church at Ephesus. Ephesus was a very prominent Roman city. In fact, at the time that Paul's writings and at the time the church was established, historians say that Ephesus was probably a population of about 250,000 people. It was a seaport in the area of what is known as Turkey today in our world. A lot of wealth came in and out because it was a seaport. There was a massive trade system. There was a lot of exchanging of wealth. Traders would come and bring their goods and trade with the, and people would come from the other cities to Ephesus to buy and to sell. There was commerce. There was business. There was government. So much so that Rome declared it to be a provisional, a province, that's what I'm trying to say, a province capital of that area. And Paul went there and evangelized and started preaching the gospel. And not only was it Jews that were getting saved, it was Gentiles that were getting saved. Gentile women who weren't accustomed to some of the Jewish traditions. And so he installs Timothy to be the pastor at the church of Ephesus. His mess, Paul's message was received, but as with most situations, there needed to be a shift from the culture of the city to that of the culture of the kingdom of God. Timothy was the young pastor that Paul entrusted this growing group of believers to. He would face many challenges, including helping men and especially women who were new believers who had come from the pagan practices of the temple worship at the temple of Artemis. Why is that important? If you were to Google the seven wonders of the world, one of the seven wonders is the temple of Artemis. Guess where the temple of Artemis was located? Ephesus. Do you get the picture? Paul, evangelizing the known world, goes into a major city in the Roman Empire that's major in commerce, major in wealth, major in fine things, major in linens and gold and expensive jewels and all kind of stuff. And they've, the city of Ephesus and, and the people that lived there had built this temple that is listed as one of the seven wonders of the world. And it was pagan worship to the goddess Artemis or Diana, if you know anything about Greek and Roman mythology. She was the goddess of the hunt and also the goddess of childbearing, which is interesting that Paul refers to childbearing in verse 15. So that's the setting to which people are getting saved out of. Men and women both are getting saved out of the pagan worship at the temple of Artemis. Now, can I tell you that when women were going to the temple of Artemis to be involved in pagan worship, they were getting dressed up, dolled up, gussied up, whatever term. I mean, they was fine. You, might, you must be a parking ticket because you got fine written all over you. I mean, I mean, I, and there were professions in the pagan temples of worship that women participated in and men, and I'll speak over. It's the oldest profession in the world. And they, women were getting saved out of that. And when they got saved out of that, they didn't automatically go down to the local marshals and buy the stuff that didn't look all gaudy with all the stuff. They still had, this was their clothes. And Paul's, a, Paul's telling Timothy, when you're dealing with this, what? because God's after the heart. He's not after the outward appearance. He's after the heart. And that's why he says that women shouldn't adorn. Not because they're supposed to dress crummy. Not because they're supposed to be homely. I mean, there was one in Scripture, Homely, Lonely Leah. If you know that past, if you know that story from the Old Testament, Laban had to trick him to get, to get her married off first. But Paul's not telling Timothy, tell all your women to, to really dress down and just, you know, kind of be 
Okay, glad to see you today. What he's telling them is they got to take make a switch in their heart that it's not what's on the outside that makes you important. It's not what's on the outside that makes you matter. It's not what's on the outside that makes you special to somebody. But it's what God does in your heart when you surrender your life to Jesus and you present your body as a living sacrifice. You're not going to care what you wear on the outside. You're not going to spend so much time putting on all, braiding your hair and all, with all the gold and doing all this stuff. Because when you do, you're drawing attention to yourself. Do you understand? Now, here's the other thing. As these women, especially, but Paul's talking to the men. He tells the men, listen, men, you need to lift up holy hands and pray without fighting, without wrath, without quarreling. Listen, men like to fight. Thank you, Toby. Men like to fight. Man, they'll get, they'll, they'll, they'll get in a quarrel. They'll get in an argument. Now, now past, Pastor Daniel and I don't fight, but there's been a couple of times we've been having discussion, and both of our wives are like, time out, guys. Time out. Okay? We're not mad at each other. We're just fired up. We're just discussing something. We're just having a, a, a heated debate. Thank you. And Paul says, listen, if you're going to profess it, you've now become part of the way. You're now a Christian, men. You're now believers, men. you got to learn to lift up your hands and surrender to God. Surrender your will. Crucify yourself. Quit having a bad attitude. Quit looking for a fight at every turn. Quit walking around mad at the world and begin to surrender your life to Jesus. But we don't hear people criticize men in the church because of that. We're just like, well, men are men. But ladies, you can't talk. Ladies, you can't speak. Ladies, you can't. And I'm telling you, Paul was dealing with a culture of people being saved out of pagan worship, being saved out of a life of commerce, being saved out of a life of wheeling and dealing and doing what you could, using whatever you had to close the deal, to seal the deal. And they're now coming to the church. And Paul's telling Timothy, listen, as the young pastor instructed to be there, I've placed you there. We laid hands upon you. Stir up that gift that was in you from the laying on of hands. Preach the word. Live the word. Be instant in season and out of season and do it so that you can bring the best out of your people. Now, what is he talking about when he says they shouldn't teach? Okay. There is a, a way to study the Bible. I, I, I'm a proponent of what's known as systematic theology. Systematic theology is what does the word of God say about any given topic from the entire word, Genesis to Revelation. Because can I tell you, are y'all, is this good? Y'all enjoying this? Okay. All right. Can I tell you that there are people that'll take verses, one verse, and build a religion around it, one verse, and build a denomination around it instead of studying the entire word of God? And I've already given you enough from, from the Old Testament to the New Testament and enough of what Paul says that we know that he didn't lose his mind and he can't be saying in, in this passage that they can't talk in church at all because we already know that Priscilla and Aquila were pastors, that Priscilla and Aquila taught Apollos, who became a great, who was already a good speaker but became even better, that Phoebe was his ambassador, that, that the, I forgot her name, um, the first one that I talked about, was considered an apostle. Her and her husband were apostles. Yes, you know who I'm talking about. You wrote it down, hopefully. Thank you, Junia. 
So we know that because of all this other stuff, that there has to be something Paul's trying to say here. Again, in the temple worship, it was loud. I mean, I, for those of you who didn't hear what my wife said, our church, our church is like Black Friday. There's a lot of people here, and it's kind of kind of hectic. You'll get that later. Temple worship, temple worship in the pagan temples was loud. People yelled. People, people said, you know, they would call the people back and forth. It was chaos. There wasn't order. And specifically, if you study this out, because women talk more than men, it's just natural. That's what was going on. Paul wasn't saying they can't talk at all. Paul was saying, listen, with a gentle and quiet spirit, learn these things so that you can become all that you need to be. That's why we don't turn people loose. I'm just being honest. That's why we as a church don't turn people loose who, get saved, who got saved last Sunday, have no knowledge of Scripture, have no understanding of how, things, how God moves and decency and order. We don't turn them loose so they just begin leading because they're going to lead people in chaos. And so here Paul's saying, do you get what I'm saying? Paul is trying to give Timothy instruction on how to bring the best out of these ladies and the men at this church in Ephesus, not, put, not hold them back. He wanted them to, Paul wanted, because it was God's heart, Paul wanted the, the ladies in Ephesus to become the next Phoebe, the next Priscilla, the next Lydia, the next Junia. Paul wanted that, but he knew they needed to learn how to conduct themselves first in holiness, walking in holiness before God. Jesus said himself, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, meekness is not weakness. Meekness is understanding who you are, and you don't have to prove it. Meekness is understanding that you've been saved and set free, and there's no devil in hell that can change that unless you let him, so you don't have to prove nothing to nobody. Live your life on fire for God. And that's what Paul's instructing Timothy here. There, there's, <laughs> there's so much... There's so much more. God is after our hearts. He was after their hearts. God is after an inward change made possible by what Jesus did through his sacrifice on the cross. This inward change could visibly be seen in an outward expression of prayer, worship, and service, pointing attention to him. John the Baptist said, I must decrease, he must increase. The Bible says if we lift Jesus up, if he is lifted up, he will draw all men. It's the same issue today. Maybe the language is a little different. Maybe in this particular passage, this particular book, this particular letter, Paul felt like he had to maybe stress it a little differently than others. But the character and the heart of God I've shown you from Scripture is male and female, both equal, both complementary, both called to do the work of God, both called to subdue the earth, walk in authority, to take dominion over the earth, both called to fulfill what God's spoken and called both of them to do. I have a job to do. My wife has a job to do. I can't do her job, she can't do my job. The ladies in this house have a job to do. Gentlemen, we can't do it. But you know what? We better do our job. Which brings me to my last point tonight. My last point I simply entitled Deborah, Barak, and a tent spike of deliverance. Because if you know anything about the Old Testament, you know that when I was going through the amazing women of the Old Testament, some of you might have been like, wait a minute, how come he didn't talk about Deborah? It's because I was saving her for last. Turn with me to the book of Judges. 
<laughs> Woo. Amen. Judges chapter 4. Now the Bible tells us that Deborah was a judge, meant she sat in authority. It meant that men and women of the nation of Israel came to her. She made judgment and decision. God used her, was appointed. Now, we don't know. We don't know the backstory. Maybe there were other men that wanted, that God was, was asking first, and they said no. And so he gets to Deborah, and she says, okay. Maybe she wanted it from the very beginning. I don't know. What I do know is she was a judge which meant she set an authority. In fact, if you look at the book of Judges, all the judges that are listed there, they were a type of a king. They set in rulership. God raised them up and used them to deliver the nation, and when they delivered the nation, then they set in judgment or rulership or leadership over all the people. So here we got a lady, a woman of God, sitting in judgment over the people of Israel. God spoke to her because there was an enemy, uh, King Sisera, who was messing with Israel. It also says she was a prophetess. And she was judging, verse 4, chapter 4, verse 4, and she was judging Israel at the time. In verse 5, and she would sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the mountains of Ephraim. And the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. Verse 6, and she sent and called for Barak, the son of a couple of people. And he said to them, has not the Lord God of Israel commanded... All right, go. <laughs> Has not the Lord God of Israel commanded, go and deploy troops at Mount Tabor? Take with you 10,000 men of the sons of Naphtali and of the sons of Zebulun. And against you, I will deploy Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army. Jabin was the king with his chariots and his multitude at the river Kish, Kishon. And I will deliver them, him into your hand. And Barak said to her, if you will go with me, I, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. Here we got another classic example of a man abdicating his authority that God had declared and spoken. God had, God had said, I give you the blueprint. It's a guarantee. You go do this. You take those 10,000 boys with you, and you just go down to the river. Probably you're not even going to have to fight. I'm going to deliver Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, and all of that nation into your hands. Just go and do it. And he said, nah, not interested unless you go. Can I tell you, church, tonight? Women are in roles in the church that they are not necessarily saying they want to be in, but nobody else is stepping up. And rather than let the kingdom go by the wayside, women are saying, look, God, I'm not saying you necessarily spoke to me and said I'm the number one choice to do this, but nobody, I'm looking around and there's nobody else to do this, so I'm going to step up and do this because I love you, Jesus. I love you, Lord. I love your church. I don't want to see your church suffer. I don't want to see your church hurt. And yet we, yet we criticize women for saying they're trying to take the place of men. I'm saying, guys, why don't we step up? Why don't we lead? Why don't we become who we're supposed to be and serve the church and serve the whole house, women and men, children, all, all ages, be who we're supposed to be? Because you know what? The reason we're in Alaska is, one, God, God spoke to us, but he really spoke to my wife. He spoke to both of us and said, Alaska. But can I tell you, my wife was, was the, the driving force, if you will, behind it, and I'm so glad. Now, 
you might be like, well, does that mean you weren't supposed to be here? Absolutely not. We were supposed to be here. But I'm a Tennessee boy. Grew up, born in Georgia, grew up in Tennessee. Alaska was not on my radar. Staying in Tennessee my entire life was on my radar. We met in Bible college, got married, and went back to Tennessee. We were youth pastors in Tennessee. My biggest goal was to be the state youth director for the state of Tennessee. That's all I ever thought I needed to be. And I married a, a visionary intercessor prayer warrior. And when God spoke to us, she grabbed a hold of that. And it wasn't that she hounded me. It wasn't that she griped at me. It wasn't that she beat me over the head. She encouraged me to become all I could be. She encouraged me to become the man of God I was supposed to be and lead our family in the way we were supposed to go. But can I tell you, she had a responsibility. She had, uh, yeah, I'm going to get there. She had a responsibility that if I didn't push it, she could either say, okay, God, he's not, and I'm going to submit, which submission is not subjection. Gentlemen, oh boy, a wife will submit to a man she can trust. And if she can trust you that you're hearing the voice of God, that you've done your due diligence, you've spent your time on your knees, you've spent your time before the Lord in the word, and you've come out of that prayer closet with a thus saith the Lord, and she knows it, she sees it, she'll submit to that and say, I'll follow you, sweetheart. I'll support you. I'll give all my strength. I'll give all that God put in me to partner with you and see this thing happen. But too many times, we're just like, well, whatever. That's That's how Barak was in our story. Well, whatever. Yeah, it'd be nice to see the army defeated, but, you know, I don't really want to take all that on. I got other things to do. I got a game to watch. The tournament's coming up. Me and the boy's going to go bowling. So I guess if we really need to go, you better go with me. And she said, okay, I'll go with you, but guess what? You're not going to get any of the credit. You're not going to get any of the reward. You're not going to get any of the fame because you won't do what God has called you to do. So they went. And guess what? God did what he promised. There was a great victory. Sisera and, the, and the, the, the army was defeated. And Sisera fled the battlefield. And he went to a, a, a neighboring little town that had, had close relationship with Jabin. But you know what? There were no men in that town at that time. Because the only person he came in contact with was a woman named Jael. Kind of again, I think J.L. probably when she saw him coming was thinking, great, where is my husband? Here I am just doing my thing, doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I know there's a battle over there. Where's all the men? Are they hiding? Are they down, are they down at the, the you know, at, at watching ESPN at the <laughs> Buffalo Wild Wings and I'm stuck here and now I got to deal with this guy? And Cicero comes to her and he says, you got you to gotta hide me. And he trusted her because, again, her people had good relationship with, with the king. And she said, okay. And he, he said, here. And it was hot and sweat. He was hot and sweaty. And she said, here, come lie in the tent. And she said, here, let me give you some, something to drink. And she gave him milk, which when it's hot and you drink milk and you're tired, you've been running, you drink a big thing of goat's milk, you're going to fall asleep. And that's exactly what he did. He fell asleep in the tent. And J.L. went and got a tent tent spike. Can I tell you, it's not one of those little uh, aluminum crooked little things that we use when we go camping now. Can I tell you, it's not even one of those those, uh, uh, made out of, um, um, it's not metal, uh, plastic, but it's a different, anyway, it's not one of those plastic yellow things. 
Their tents were their lifestyle. Their tents were their homes. Their tents were everything. This tent, this tent spike was like one of the ones we use setting up the tent out here. Probably thicker, but at least as long. Razor sharp. And the Bible says that while Cicero was sleeping underneath the blankets, asleep in the tent, she went and got the tent spike. Now, can I tell you she had to know how to use it? She didn't go, I wonder what I'm supposed to do. She went, I know what I'm going to do because I know how to use this stuff. Because can I tell you, she, she had drove many a tent spike, in, tent spike into the ground. She knew how to wield that hammer. She knew how to use the things that were in her hand to see a great victory come to pass. And that's exactly what happened. If you don't know the story, it's an amazing story. She crept into the tent. He was asleep. She pulled back the cover uh, off of his head. He was asleep. She put the spike on his temple, and she drove the tent spike through his head into the ground, pinned his sorry backside to the ground, and he died. And then Barak and Deborah and the rest of the people show up looking for Sister, and she says, oh, he's in here. I took care, I took care of him. Ladies, there are some times that God is going to call upon you to take what you have in your hand, the things that you are skilled in doing, the things that he has put in you, planted in you, the seeds that he's placed in you, that he deposited in your DNA. There's going to be times that he's going to cause you to rise up and take what you know how to use and use it to see a great victory be accomplished for your family, for your nation, for your state, for the kingdom of God. And I say, ladies, go ahead. Look for those opportunities. And men, don't shirk ours. Because if you look at the rest of the story in Judges, there were songs that were sung. And not one of them gave any kind of praise to Barak. Not one of them said, man, Barak was a great leader. But man, they praised J.L. They, sang so they wrote songs about J.L. and what she did. There are songs to be written about what will be accomplished by the men and women, but specifically tonight, because I'm honoring you ladies, about the songs that will be written about the exploits of the women of this house who will rise up in their God-given authority and do what God's called them to do. Amen? Amen. Brother Toby, if you'd come back to the keyboard. Now listen, that's, I got, that's what I got for you. Okay? I'm going to have my wife come do something here in just a minute. But before she does, just because it needs to happen every time we gather together. Maybe you're visiting here tonight. Maybe you're here tonight and you thought you were going to hear some other kind of message. Maybe you didn't know why you came tonight, but you came. But something in this message spoke to you that says, hey, I need to have a kind of relationship with the Lord that I know what I'm supposed to do. I need to have a relationship with God so that I can begin to, to step into what God's called me and destined me to do. Basically what I'm saying is if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior tonight, this is a great opportunity. After hearing a message like this, absolutely. The Word of God is true. And Jesus came to set us all free. He came to set us all free from sin. He came to set us all free from the bondage of, of uh, uh, old mindsets that keep us bound in sin, let alone bound in tradition. So if you're here tonight, in fact, stand with me if you would. If you're here tonight, and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Or maybe one time you dedicated your life to Jesus, but you would say, you know, 
I haven't been living like that. I'm not even close to living that kind of relationship where God could use me to do a great victory. I don't know that I'll make heaven my home anymore. I I did it when I was a kid. I prayed and repented and asked Jesus to forgive me when I was a kid. But, you know, I haven't been living the right kind of life. And so if Jesus were to come back or if I were to die tonight, I don't know that I'd go to heaven. Or maybe you just want to be assured that you'll go to heaven. You want to to just re-up is a term. Sign up again. If you fall in any one of those three categories, I'm going to give you an opportunity. Number one, to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior for the first time. Number two, to rededicate or recommit your life. Well, why do I need to recommit my life? Because the book of James tells us that God doesn't tempt us to do evil. We do evil when our own lusts draw us away and entice us and we give in to temptation and when we give in to temptation it brings forth sin and when sin does its perfect uh, does its work it brings forth death so you need to get sin out of your life you need to repent of your sins ask Jesus to forgive you once again be cleansed by his blood and start living for him and watch what he'll do for, with you and through you and for you so if you're here tonight and you need to give your life to Jesus for the first time You need to rededicate your life to Jesus, praying a prayer of repentance to repent of your sins, or you just want to rededicate, recommit, re-up, make sure that you're going to go to heaven and he's your Lord and Savior. If that's you, would you just lift your hand all across this place? Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Come on. Anybody else? Anybody else? All right, I'm going to ask you to do one more thing. The Bible says that Jesus said, That if we confess him before men, he in turn will confess us before his father. What that basically means is if we're not ashamed that we're giving our life to him, if we're not ashamed that, listen, repentance is not, repentance is not something to be afraid of. My goodness, repent. Your soul and where it spends eternity hinges on whether you repent of sin. But if we're not willing to publicly repent, say, I need Jesus, and step forth and say, I'm not ashamed to admit it. If if we're not ashamed to do that, he's not ashamed to then go to his heavenly father, our creator God, and say, look at my children. Look at my brothers and sisters. Look at your children. Man, they're coming back. They're giving their life to you. But the reverse is true. If we're ashamed and we won't admit, we won't admit our sin, we won't say that we're going to take a stand for Jesus, then Jesus will deny us, say, Father, I don't know them. So if you raised your hand, Brother Toby plays, would you step out from where you are and join me all across the front here at this altar? Others will be coming with you. Come on, I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. We're gonna give you a chance to put put action to your, your request, to rededicate, get saved for the first time, assure yourself of your salvation. Hallelujah. Come on, give these that are coming a hand. Thank you, Jesus. All right, we've got, we've got some, some people that are going to come stand beside you and pray with you and help you. But all of you that came down forward, all of us do this, but specifically you that came down forward, I'm going to ask you to repeat a prayer after me. If I pray it, it works for me. You have to pray it and mean it, even though I'm giving you, telling you the words to pray. Because I'm going to tell you what Scripture says. But if you pray it and you mean it, then God takes it serious and, and welcome to the family. But everybody repeat this prayer after me tonight. Let's all make sure. Come on, do this. Father God, thank you for loving me so much that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, 
to die on the cross in my place. I'm a sinner. I've got sin in my life. I want to make sure that I don't have sin in my life. So I come to you tonight and I repent of all my wrongdoing. And I ask you to forgive me, to cleanse me, to make me new. And I commit that I will live for you the rest of the days of my life. Thank you, Lord, for loving me and hearing my prayer. Amen. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Now, all of you that came forward, there's some people standing beside you that, got, that have clipboards. They want to just take a moment just to get some information, give you a little gift, and pray with you. And, uh, and I'll let you guys go ahead and take care of that. And uh, we've got a couple of young men here. Maybe if somebody could, could come pray with them or just come on over there with Josh, guys. All right, and I'm going to ask my wife to come. She's got something she wants to share, and then she's going to pray over the house, especially all you ladies. Thank you. You did a great job. You know, I just wanted to share a little bit. We live in a culture that um, is screaming for women to stand up for their rights. And we're at a, a precipice, a change. There's a change. There's opportunities for women. But let's not make the mistake. There was a mistake made in suppressing women, and it wounded. I'm from the Bible Belt. I suffered wounds because of the things Barry taught that were inflicted by well-meaning people who were doing their very best for the kingdom in the church. The Lord used to speak to me, and I used to cry to Barry and say, why is God telling me I'm a woman? I can't do anything about it. And it really took us coming out of the South to understand the grace of God upon women. Barry wanted the best for me, but even he didn't know how to break out of the culture. But ladies, let's not make the mistake of thinking of ungodly methods of anger and bitterness and resentment are going to bring about the healthiness that God wants to inflict. I can tell you in this church... You will be honored. And as you hide yourself in Christ, in the humility of who he is, and in the confidence of who you are, then you will have your JL moments. But I'm telling you, it is scary out there to see what our daughters are bombarded with that you got to demand. The book of James says the righteousness of God will not be brought about by the anger of man. And I think it's super important for us to walk in really, really careful wisdom and discernment of the difference. It is because of who you are in him and the anointing he will clothe you with that you will do great exploits. And then you won't have to demand or be angry about anything. You will carry so much authority. The waters will part for you. Men and women will say, this woman is marked by something that I have never seen before. We don't have to use protest and screaming and bitterness. I have people very dear to me and they have swallowed this pill and now this pill is destroying 
their lives. Women have lost their sense of identity and who they are. You are anointed by God to touch the world through your children, through ministering to your husband. You are called to minister to him. You are called to minister to your children. And when you keep going in that, you will impact the world. So I'm going to pray tonight. I'm going to pray if you've ever been wounded in this way. I'm asking you to give that up to the Lord. Mistakes were made by people who were doing their very best for the kingdom. Let's release them so that we can embrace the new that God has. I'm going to pray for men and for women. Great job. I'm so thankful to be in a church where we're not afraid to stand up to biblical principles. Men and women were created different by a perfect designer. We don't have to be afraid of the world's opinion, of our understanding of biblical places for men and women. And then I'm going to pray for the women of this house that you're going to rest in full confidence. You don't have to fight for your rights. You can be hidden in him and he's going to represent you and no enemy will ever stand against that father we come before you tonight we come before you thanking you that you were the perfect designer that you created us male and female lord that you designed us perfectly with no flaws and no mistakes and no apologies lord we come before you as a congregation asking you to fashion us and make us into a model of what we are to be that we would speak to the world around us the life that you have the the joy that you have the peace that you have that we would just radiate the best of you to the culture that we are living in lord i pray over every lady in this house if they've ever been wounded father by well-meaning christians that made them feel they were too much that made them feel they were too loud that made them feel they weren't enough that made them feel they were out of order and it wounded their spirit lord i ask you speak to them now that you would heal them father reassure them that you saw and that you kept them even for this day to move past that lord we release those moments to you and we say yes and amen father that we will take our deborah moments we will take our jl moments father we will take our esther moments lord god and our ruth moments and our priscilla moments father god that we will be like mary father that we will be like the Proverbs 31 woman Lord that we will accomplish all that you want father I pray for our daughters Lord that they would prophesy father God that they would know you Lord that they in this culture wouldn't be afraid to be mamas and homemakers and wives of beauty father anoint this house tonight Lord let it be marked from this day forward father we are a church that stands for gender Lord in the way you design it to be. Lord God, we thank you for this place and we crave the truth of who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs> thank you for allowing me to share this with you. You're welcome. Men and women, don't settle for anything less, anything short of 
the very best that God designed and created you to be and to do. If we'll not settle together, both of us, men and women, doing everything that God's called us to do, we will take this city, we will take this valley, we will take this state, and we will be able to, when we stand before Jesus, hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Come on in to all that I've created and made for you. God bless you, Pastor Karen. You want me to close or you close? You close. You close. Amen. Good word. Give Pastor Barry a hand. That was so awesome. Powerful. Powerful. Thank you, Jesus. That was great. I got very ministered to by all that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Barry. Whew. Hallelujah. Amen. Let me let me bless you tonight as we close. Lord, thank you so much for your word. And Lord, I just hope tonight that every woman in this place just feels honored and blessed and free to be who you made them to be. And Lord, I pray that you'd bless your people, cause your face to shine upon us. Lift up your countenance towards us. Be gracious to us. Keep us and give us peace in the matchless name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen and amen. God bless you. We'll see you Wednesday night. And we're so glad you came. God bless you. Thank you for joining today's podcast. If God is impacting your life through this ministry, you can partner with us and give at kcalaska.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our channel and enjoy more messages like this one.